If you would open your Bibles this morning to the Gospel of John chapter 15. John chapter 15. All of you in Cafe Worship this morning, those of our partners in Perry, Oklahoma, any place that you're joining us by way of video or audio podcast, we love you. Thank you. Uh, you honor us by worshiping together with us. Now open your Bibles. John chapter 15. You don't have to read the New Testament all that closely to realize that Jesus left the church one purpose, one mission, really only one thing to do. Do you remember that great mission, that great commission? It is to go into all of the world and, and, and preach the gospel to make disciples. That's the point, to, to make disciples of, of everyone, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded. We're supposed to make disciples. It's not one of the things that the church is supposed to do. It is the thing. It is the thing that the church is supposed to do. We're supposed to be making disciples. Several years ago, as, as our church was beginning to grow and we were thinking about what that means to grow, you recall that I said to you that I, I never wanted our church to be a mile wide and a quarter of an inch deep. Do you remember that? A mile wide and a quarter of an inch deep. And I'm not saying that we are. I'm just saying that is always the danger. Because while Christ gave the church one single mission, one single purpose to make disciples, the truest thing I know how to say to you is that most churches, and maybe sometimes including ours, we fail in that mission. We fail in the mission to turn people from non-believers into believers and then from believers into growing d disciples. And, and let's define some terms. What is a disciple? Maybe that'll help us. Well, very simply, a disciple is one who follows and becomes like Christ. A disciple is a person who follows and therefore becomes like Christ. Now, right there, if we stop and we just simply make that definition, and if you ask yourself, are you a disciple of Jesus, you might have some, some very difficult things to think about. Because we're not asking if you come to church, we're not asking if you go to Sunday school, we're not asking if you're a good neighbor, we're asking you the question of all questions, are you following Christ in such a way where increasingly you're becoming like him? Because that's what Christ died for, not just to bring you to church. The problem is a lot of people go to church and there is no transformation. There is no increasingly becoming more like Christ. And that is so normal for us. That is so normal in most churches. It is so normal in the United States of America that we think nothing of it. As a matter of fact, a growing Christian, a person who's in the church but growing and loving Christ and following him with a whole heart and becoming more like him every day, that person's most likely to stand out. They're going to be different even in the church. A recent Barna survey asked people in the United States, what helps you grow in your faith? What helps you grow in your faith? There were all kinds of answers given from family, friends to having children, which is funny. Having children helps me grow in my faith. But do you know that in the United States today, in that survey, what helps you grow in your faith? My church didn't even crack the top ten. So people don't associate church anymore with actually growing in faith. And I remind you, that's the only purpose we have. It's the only mission that we have to grow people in faith, to grow people to be more like Christ. What's going on? What's happening? It, it, it's devastating when you think about it. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said that, that, that church without discipleship is always church without Christ. 
So, so if a disciple is one who follows in order to become more like Christ, what's discipleship? What, what is discipleship? Well, I, I would define discipleship as a, a process of believers who love and invest in each other in such a way as to reach full maturity in Christ. You with me? It's a process of believers who love and invest in one another in such a way where they become fully mature in Christ. That is our purpose, to become fully mature in, in Christ. I want us to think about that. Now, as a church staff, we've actually been talking about this for months now. We've been reevaluating our ministries. I've been reevaluating my ministry according to that one purpose, that one mission to make disciples. And what this means is, in my ministry, if I have a lot of people who come, or in any of our ministries, Matt Betts' ministry or Warren's ministry, Rides, uh, Nicole, any of us, if we have a lot of people who come and we have people who say we did a good job, we've typically interpreted that as success. If people show up and everybody seems genuinely happy with what we're doing, we assume that that's success. But, but what I would offer is that we can have a lot of people coming and a lot of people saying we're doing a good job and we can still be total failures if we're not turning people into fully mature followers of Jesus Christ. Are you with me? You understanding what I'm saying? We are here to make disciples. I want us to talk about that now for the next several weeks. Uh, we've put in your hands a bookmark. It says reflect on the front. Take this out. I want this to become your best friend for the next several weeks. In cafe, I think they're in your hands too. I want this to be your new best friend. You'll see on the back, reflect is an acronym. R-E-R-E-F-L-E-C-T. Find out. I'm just kidding. <laughs> reflect. I'm sorry. I just killed, I killed it, right? I killed the whole thing. <laughs> I'm sorry, and y'all don't even know me. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah. Re reflect. Each letter, each letter stands for a particular attribute that we find biblically applies to mature Christianity. So I want us over the next few weeks in a message series called Reflect to walk through R-E-F-L-E-C-T -E and, uh, and find out what it means to me. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I want us to talk about mature discipleship. Let's just start with R, and let's start with John. John chapter 15. The R stands for, can you see it? Relationship. The R stands for relationship. Now, some of you are going to wonder how in the world this becomes about relationship. It becomes about relationship because Jesus makes it about relationship. John chapter 15, read with me. John chapter 15. I remind you that the passage we're reading is actually taking place. This, this uh, message that Jesus is currently preaching is happening in the upper room. You understand that? It's, it's in the upper room. Jesus is with his disciples, and this is what he says. I am the true grapevine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit. And he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so they will produce even more. Now, Jesus is talking about my life and your life in him. So pay attention. Verse 3. You have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. Verse 4. Remain. Your translation may say abide, but the word is remain in me and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot, say the words, Produce fruit. A branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. 
those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do, say the word, nothing. Yeah. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. Why don't you go ahead and underline that right there, and that's going to do you a world of good. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. Here we go. I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants, slaves, because a master doesn't confide in his servants. Now you are my friends, since I've told you everything the Father told me. You didn't choose me, I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit, so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. This is my commandment, say it with me, love each other. Love each other. Love each other. Okay, so back up. Jesus is talking about our life in him, our relationship to him. And he describes it in verse, in verse 5. Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. We are like branches growing from the vine who is Christ. This is the, the relationship, this vital relationship that Jesus describes like a branch that is growing out of the vine. Now, if we stopped right there and asked you about your Christian life, some of you would have to really begin to consider if your life looks like this. But because I'm just telling you, if you only really think about Christ when you're at church, or if you only really read the Bible when somebody's reading it to you, or if you really only are becoming like Christ when you get in trouble and all of a sudden you get really, really serious. In, in other words, if your life of faith kind of moves along with, with spits and starts, there is something profoundly wrong. Do you get that? You may look like everybody else you know, but you do not look like Christ, and this is the problem. You're not supposed to be like everybody else. You're supposed to be following Christ in such a way as to become increasingly like him. So in Jesus' way of putting it, in Jesus' mind, this relationship we have with him is characterized by two things. It's like a branch in the vine, and the first word he uses is, is remain. You remain in me and I will remain in you in the same way that a branch has to remain in the vine. Because if the branch gets severed, gets cut off from the vine, that branch is going to wither. It's going to die. And in the same way, some of us spiritually are just almost dead. You may be a believer. You may be having a home in heaven when you die. But my goodness, you might as well go on there now because you're useless 
You're useless in the kingdom of God. You're useless. You're not serving. You're not following. You're not being transformed by him. And I want to repeat, there's something profoundly wrong. It's a relationship of remaining in him, remaining. In other words, it's not about walking an aisle and praying a prayer and then going back and living like the devil for the rest of your life. Do you really think that's why Jesus died? It's about remaining. It's not about just going through the waters of baptism and getting wet and then getting dry and then telling everybody for the rest of your life that you've been baptized and therefore you must be a Christian. Baptism isn't what makes you a Christian. Discipleship, following and being transformed to be more like Christ, that is the Christian life. If that's not your life, I repeat, there's something profoundly wrong with you. And there's something profoundly wrong with any church that makes non-discipleship Christianity normal. There's something really broken about churches when we just continue to bring people in and, and have them sit through worship services and have them sit through small group Bible study classes in which they never learn anything. They don't change at all. And some of you would give that testimony if you were honest. You would say, I've been in church my whole life and I haven't learned anything about the Bible. Some of you haven't learned anything about the Bible. You say, Brother Tim, you, you don't understand. I just, I, I don't read a whole lot and, and I just never was very good in school. Yeah, I understand. I also know you know everything about bass fishing. I also know if I pulled up in my car and it's making a noise, which it usually does, that's why I just play music loud. <laughs> if I pull up and, and, and I pull up and say, what's that noise? You go, oh, that, that, that sounds like the transmission belt. Or, Does the transmission have a belt? I don't know. That, that, that sounds like the, the catalytic converter, whatever. I mean, you know, you know these things. You know everything about the UK Wildcats basketball team. You know everything about Pinterest. You know everything about everything, but you know nothing about Christ. And you've been at this your whole life. I repeat, there's something profoundly wrong. Profoundly wrong when Jesus says your life has, has a lot to do with just remaining in him. Some of us don't remain. We come and go as we please. We come and go when things get hard or when things get good. We come and go, but we don't remain. But the ordinary Christian life is a life of desperate, clinging, joyful, remaining in the vine who is Christ. We remain. And he goes on to say, you bear fruit. Now, again, we're using vine terminology. We're using agricultural terminology here. So, again, Jesus is talking about true discipleship here, following him and becoming like him. And he says that those who remain in him, that they bear fruit. Now, we can talk about what the fruit is, and we're going to do that in the weeks to come. But for today, just understand that that idea of bearing fruit has to do with maturity, now, when a vine first begins to sprout branches, those branches barely have leaves. Those branches aren't even a twig yet, but the idea is the branches grow. The branches in a vine grow to become what the vine is. And therefore, when the branches fully mature, the branch will begin to bear the fruit that, that represents what the vine's purpose is. You understand that producing fruit, bearing much fruit, that's a sign of maturity, and Jesus' plan for your life from the very beginning was that you would come to him, that you would believe in him, 
that he could put his Holy Spirit in you, and then you would spend the rest of your life following him, becoming more like him, and living a life that bears the kind of fruit that Jesus himself bears. You're a branch off the vine that is Jesus, you see? So we're talking about maturity, full maturity. Turn back in your Bible to Ephesians chapter 4. Go, go with me. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 13. It's a great passage, and we're going to come back to it later. But for today, just understand, Paul is talking about the church. He's talking about the church as a body. He's talking about the work of the church and how everybody works together to build up everybody else. We're going to come to that. But verse 13 says this, all of this, the work of the church, all of this will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be, say the word, mature. We will all, we will all be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. So this is the point. It's the whole point of church. It's the reason we are the body of Christ. It's our only purpose to, to make sure that every single one of us, not just the ones who want to get more serious, not just the ones who like to come to church on Wednesday night, every single one of us, the, the goal is that we would become fully mature. You need to become fully mature in Christ. You're being measured by the standard, the complete standard of Christ. Not the complete standard of, of other church members around you, the complete standard of, of Christ. You're supposed to grow up and become like Christ. Now that word mature, that we will all be mature, the, the Greek word there literally means full-grown man. And that's what it says. You're going to be full-grown men, ladies, and I'm going to be awesome. Full-grown man. It's the idea. It, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a distinction, a comparison between a baby, an, an infant, and a full-grown adult. You know, Paul says, when I was a child, I, I, I thought like a child, I spoke like a child, I understood like a child. But when I became an adult, I put away childish things. You know, most churches are absolutely filled with spiritual babies I mean, they may have been in the church for years and years and years, and some of you have been in the church for years and years and years, but you are spiritually an infant. You still think like a spiritual infant. You're not growing. You're not changing. You're just occupying a pew Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. And I'm not saying that bothers me. I'm just saying to you, I repeat, there's something profoundly wrong if you call that the Christian life. We're supposed to be becoming fully mature. The branches bear fruit. And when you produce much fruit, Jesus says, you are my true disciple. It's about maturity. It's about maturity. I have loved you, Jesus says. When he's talking about true discipleship, he immediately begins to talk about love. Discipleship is a relational process. Whether or not you're comfortable with that, you don't get to vote. It's relational. First off, your relationship to Christ. You have to see that. It is an ongoing, everyday relationship where you submit to him, you obey him. Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. You will. You obey not because you have to, you obey because you love to. You love him, and you live to please him. And you know that everything that he says is exactly, exactly the path to joy for you. So you're a fool to disobey, you understand? 
There's so much joy in obeying the Father that you love, the Jesus that you're trying to become more like. So obedience isn't supposed to be something where you have to grin and bear it. It's a joyful way of life. It's what Jesus says. This is how your joy gets full. It's, it's about love. So very, very simply, listen to me. Growing in love is the surest sign that you're growing in Christ. You may be becoming very, very smart. You may be the smartest person in your small group Bible study. You may get gold stars every single week. My wife teaches kindergarten Sunday school. They get gold stars still. We'll give you a gold star every single week. You may be getting really, really smart. But if you're not becoming stronger in love, you're not growing in Christ. His love is what he's forming in you. And you're not going to find anything more important in your Christian life than learning how to love people. It's about loving people. I mean, seriously. Some of us as church people, we may be growing in a lot of other ways that we pretend are more important. But when it comes to relationships, we're messed up. Messed up. Some churches just fight. It's like they get to church early so they can start fighting ahead of time. You know, they just can't wait to get there and fight each other. And and what's wrong with people? Why do they think that's normal? Why do they not hide their heads in shame? I mean, some of us in this house, we struggle with relationships. In church, we're okay. It's, It's the people outside of church we struggle with, some of us. Some of you have so much unforgiveness in your heart, and you walk in here like that's supposed to be normal. You walk in here like that's not an offense to God. The fact that you haven't spoken to your flesh and blood brother in 10 years, the fact that you carry grudges, you walk in here like that's somehow supposed to be normal. That's normal if you don't belong to Christ, but if you belong to Christ, you're supposed to be growing in love. Which means you should be getting better at forgiving, not worse, better at forgiving. And those grudges should just be melting away. And if you'll pardon me for saying it, you ought to be getting a little kinder by now. We've all been waiting (laughs) for you to get a little bit kinder and, and, and gentler. Do you understand? We're supposed to grow in love. And if you're not growing in love, you are not growing in Christ. We're going to talk about the word reflect as representing maturity in Christ. The R is for relationships. You got to love God first, but then you got to love others. You got to love everybody else. You don't get to pick and choose. Brother Tim, you say love of everybody, but you don't know my (laughs) ex-wife. I don't know your ex-wife, but I know you. I understand why she's your (laughs) ex-wife. Do you understand? We're supposed to be becoming more like Christ. You think Christ can't love your ex-wife? Because if Jesus can, you can too. You belong to him, right? You're a branch in the vine of his love. That love ought to be flowing right on out through you. If it's not, I repeat, there's something profoundly wrong with you. Supposed to be becoming more like Christ, which means his love is going to be characteristic of your life. You can't love people, something wrong. Now, in your life, there are probably two kinds of people. I insist God always brings the people into your life that you need, and sometimes you deserve. God brings the people into your life that you need, and there are probably two kinds when it comes to love. The first kind are the good examples. 
Many of us have people in our lives who are really, really good examples of love. And when you have a person like that, Christ has put them there. Imitate them. And so far as they imitate Christ, you, you imitate them. Learn to love like the people in your life who love and forgive and have grace. You want to be like that too. And so far as that's what Christ is like. Some people in your life are going to be really good examples, and you learn to love by watching them and sort of falling in with the way they are like Christ and the way they love. Some people are going to be good examples. Other people in your life, now get this, other people in your life are probably there to give you some practice. (laughs) Practice in love. I mean, the way to practice love is by getting close to somebody who is absolutely unlovable. Don't look around your pew right now. It would be a bad moment. Don't look now. (laughs) There are people in your life who are very, very difficult to love, and they are an opportunity every single day to learn to love somebody more than you love yourself. Understand? The way to practice patience is to get really, really close to somebody who really requires a lot of patience. The way to practice kindness is to be put in a situation where you want to rip somebody's head off and spit down their neck. But instead, you learn to be patient and kind and gentle. You understand? People in our lives are everyday opportunities to practice this. What does the scripture say? There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. Real simply, true love always lays something down. True love always lays something down. Ultimately, your life. Jesus himself is in some ways pointing to his own example of love here because he is the one who's going to lay down his life for those he calls his friends. But we were indeed his enemies when he laid down his life for us. He lays down his life. In my life, in in your life, we're probably not going to have to die for each other. In some ways, it would be easier if we did. Instead, we have to live with each other, and we have to put up with each other, and inevitably, in order for you and me to truly learn to love each other, we're going to have to lay some things down. If discipleship is a relational process where believers love and invest in one another to reach full maturity in Christ, then it starts right here. My relationship with you and your relationship with me and All of our relationships with one another as branches grafted into the vine of Jesus. We got to have each other. And if our church is failing in, in bringing one another to full maturity in Christ, then I'd say this is the first place we need to look. Are we there for each other? We love each other? Because I can't do it without you, and you can't do it without me. We, We need everybody. Of course, the problem is, um, as years go by and as the church grows, we get busier and busier, don't we? I mean, we got so much. Some of us, I mean, I mean our lives are absolutely crazy, C- crazy. As families, the, the car never turns off anymore. The, the engine never grows cold. Every time you hit the brakes, cups and French fries roll out of your seats because, because you're eating every meal in the van. And I'm not condemning you for that. Wow, I mean, I love a good fry too. I'm just trying to help you understand that our lives are so full. And if we're really going to be serious about discipling one another, bringing each other to full maturity in Christ, 
we're going to have to lay some things down. In other words, we have to make relationships, people, priority in our lives again. Uh, what I'm saying is you may have to change the way you think about work. If work has become more important than everything else in your life, work will not necessarily bring you to full maturity in Christ outside of the relationships with God's people. You're not going to do it at work. And that's why the more you work and, and the more you miss church because you have to be at work and, and, and the more devoted you become to your job, the colder your heart gets, the further away from all of this you get. You notice that, right? I mean, there are lots and lots of things that you can graft your life into and graft your life of your family into, but they are not the vine. Your, your job is not the vine that gives life. That, that sports team that seems to matter so much when, you're, when your children are little, those sports teams won't make your children necessarily come into full maturity of Christ. What is important? What matters? Watching American Idol on Wednesday night feels important. You're grafting your life into things that are not the vine. I'm not saying that any of these things are wrong or inappropriate. It's just inappropriate and wrong when you make these things priorities over what Jesus makes the priority, and that is that you and I become disciples, followers of him, and increasingly becoming more like him. And that is a process that Jesus himself empowers. He gives us all the grace. He gives us all the strength. It all comes from his spirit. We don't do this on our own, but he can't do it without our participation. He can't do it without your surrender, and we can't do it without each other. And my point is, many of us are without each other because our lives are too full. Our arms are too full. I can't reach out and embrace you because I'm already holding too many things. We need to lay some things down so we can get back to loving each other. Discipleship is a relational process. For believers like you and me, we love each other as Christ loves. It's a laying down kind of love. And, and we invest in each other. Because there's nothing more important than seeing one another follow and become more like Christ. I, I guess we could call ourselves a church even if we're not necessarily becoming better disciples. But remember it, a church without discipleship is always going to be a church without Christ. I'm just reminding you of the commandment that Jesus gave, to love one another, to love one another as he loves us. Everything starts there. Everything grows out of that. We must grow in love. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, it's one thing to ask us to love other people. It's another thing to ask us to love people the way you love people. Lord, that standard that you set, that, that standard that you represent is a high standard. It is an impossible standard. Lord Jesus, we cannot possibly love the way you love unless you put that love in our hearts. 
unless like branches we are grafted and rooted into a vine which nourishes and feeds us from the inside. Lord Jesus, that kind of love is not in us, but it is in you. So if we will be in you, we will find that love in us. Lord, our church is growing, our church is busy, our families are growing, our families are busy, but Lord Jesus, if in the process of all of our busyness, we're not following and becoming more like you, then we are failing. Failing as parents, failing as pastor, failing as a church. You gave us one mission, to make disciples. Lord Jesus, call us back. Bring us back. Begin, Lord, by showing us how to love, showing us how to lay some things down so that we can love other people in the same way you have loved us. We pray these things in your precious name. Amen. Stand. The altar's open. If you wish to come forward to pray, if you have a public decision to make, I'm at the front to receive you. If you have a physical need of healing, the deacons will meet you on the baptistry side to anoint you and pray for you. Whatever Jesus is saying to your heart, you listen, you obey. This is where love begins. Let's sing together. Just as I am with you.